Catching you up on the latest stories from around the Sunshine State that you should know heading into this Thursday morning, February 16th. I'm Julia Cooper, and this is The Point from WUFT News. Public Radio Emergency Network recently compiled a series on the danger of severe weather in Florida. I spoke with FPREN's multimedia producer Melissa Fato on weather safety best practices and how to best prepare for different kinds of severe weather phenomena. Day one's uh, weather hazard is lightning. So recently it was reported that uh, Florida experienced about 285 lightning events per square mile in 2022. Maybe it sounds like a lot, maybe it doesn't, but Florida is basically up there in the states that experience the most lightning in the country. So for this um, portion of the series, I spoke to John Jensenius, and he's a lightning safety specialist with the National Lightning Safety Council. And he says that, you know, lightning is one of those hazards that people don't think about a lot because being struck by lightning is rare. But it is something that pretty much everyone can experience, and it is something that people are making the same safety mistakes across the country. One of the most important things he said is that if you hear thunder, you're pretty much already in danger. When you're going out to do an outdoor activity, the first thing is to check the forecast. So, you know, make sure that there isn't um, any thunderstorms forecasted for your area. And if there are, consider postponing this activity. He also says that when you arrive, make sure that there's a shelter nearby that you can access. A shelter, a proper shelter will be basically a substantial building. So something that's not like a picnic shelter, you know, something that has four walls and a roof or a hard topped vehicle. Uh, I also spoke to, and I spoke to her for all of these parts. I spoke to Amy Godsey, and she's the chief meteorologist for the Florida Division of Emergency Management. Um, She says another mistake that people make really often is they're too eager to head back outside. So say like it stops raining and they'll just go outside immediately. But again, you really want to wait to stop hearing that thunder until you begin your outdoor activity again. So tell me about the dangers associated with rip currents and marine events. Uh, for this story, I talked to, again, Amy Godsey, the chief meteorologist of the Florida Division of Emergency Management. And I also spoke to Tom Gill, and he's the vice president of the United States Life Saving Association. Rip currents have killed about 300 people in Florida since 1995. And the something about rip currents is that the deaths often go unreported, but they can be just as deadly as hurricanes or tornadoes. So Amy Godsey says that every year about 30 to 35 people die from rip currents in Florida. So what a rip current is, is it occurs when a strong channel of water moves away from the shore. So as you can imagine, it pulls swimmers away from the beach and into deeper water. So when swimmers panic, because of course they're being pulled away from the beach, they can exhaust themselves and essentially drown to death. And one way to spot it is that rip currents appear as calm patches um, with the waves breaking off to the sides. So you might see it and think that's actually a good place to swim towards because it's like a calm area in the surf. But what's really happening again is that that current is actually pulling outward and that's why there's no wave breaking. So it's really the worst place to be. Um, He says the number one safest thing you can do is swim in a guarded beach. So basically make sure that the beach you're going to has a lifeguard. But if you are not at a guarded beach, um, he says that you're going to want to be a very strong. And again, he really recommends that 
no matter what, you're at a guarded beach. But if for, if for whatever reason you end up not at a guarded beach, he says that you want to make sure that you're a strong swimmer, swimming in open water, because this since this can happen. And also always to use the buddy system. So never go out swimming alone. What should people know in regard to tornadoes and thunderstorms? So for this story... Again, I spoke to uh, Amy Godsey, Chief Meteorologist at Florida Division of Emergency Management. And I also spoke to our Chief Meteorologist at the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network, Jeff George. George comes from a background in tornado forecasting. He spent 17 years in Tornado Alley, including 15 years in Oklahoma. Um, so he certainly has a good perspective on the harm that tornadoes can do. So... We don't really think of tornadoes as a threat in Florida, but Florida averages just over 70 thunderstorms per year, and some areas of the Gulf can get even up to 100. So what do thunderstorms have to do with tornadoes? Basically, thunderstorms can create the ingredients, if you will, necessary for tornadoes to be produced. Another weather phenomenon that causes tornadoes is hurricanes. But often um, tornadoes are undercounted during hurricanes because obviously there's an entire hurricane also happening at the same time. So it's hard to track them essentially during a hurricane. Talking about tornadoes specifically, Amy Godsey says that Florida has tornadoes about every month of the year, and the most tornadoes um, occur in the summer, but the more deadlier ones tend to occur in the earlier part of the year. Uh, Jeff George says that the panhandle typically is the most vulnerable to tornado formation, but that the threat can extend as far south as the I-4 corridor. And again, during hurricanes, a tornado can form wherever the hurricane passes over. So... Unlike, say, hurricanes, tornadoes have a very short lead time. So the good news is, is that these days, lead time is up to 10 to 15 minutes. So that means that you might get 10 to 15 minutes of warning time before a tornado um, could affect you. But it could just be a few minutes. You should be ready to act quickly. And the way that you can do that is by knowing how to read weather alerts from the National Weather Service. So the easiest way to understand it is that a tornado watch, again, means that the conditions are favorable for tornadoes. Kind of a, um, if you don't mind a joke, uh, a way that I've seen it explained before, like on Twitter, was that tornado watch means we have the ingredients to make tacos. Tornado warning means we're having tacos right now. The tacos are ready. The tacos are being served. We're going to eat them right now. If you receive a tornado warning, it means that it's already here. It's been spotted either on the radar or by, you know, somebody like somebody actually saw it. And basically the tornado is imminent and you have to shelter. Basically, the biggest rule of thumb is to put as many walls between you and the outdoors as possible. So a lot of people get told that the best place to be is a place with no windows or a room with no windows, which is um, accurate. But if that room with no windows, like a bathroom, say, um, is on an exterior wall, that's actually not the best place. So again, try and get into the most interior room in your house, even if it's a closet, even if it's, say, a hallway. Because again, you're trying to put as many walls as you can between you and the outside. Um, if you live in a mobile home, um, the best thing is to 
know that there's a building nearby that you could move into, like um, a community clubhouse, office, laundry room, something like that. Um, because even an EF0 tornado, which is the weakest rating, can um, destroy a manufactured home. I think plenty of Floridians are probably fairly familiar with hurricanes at this point. So what are the most up-to-date guidelines for preparing for and tracking um, a hurricane when it does come through? Yeah, that's a good question. I talked to Robert Moyeda, and he's the warning coordination meteorologist for the National Weather Service in Miami. And the role of a warning coordination meteorologist is to specifically to work with the public and other public partners. Now, when I asked him, you know, how should we prepare prepare for hurricanes this year, especially after having experienced Hurricane Ian, which is shaping up to be one of the most destructive hurricanes in Floridian history, he said pretty much we're preparing the same way. If you go on um, ready.gov slash plan, you can actually find um, a sort of an empty hurricane plan that you can fill out um, as needed by your family. So that's something that you can do during the off season check your insurance to make sure everything is up to date. And also he said that you can, you know, do whatever kind of tasks you need to do around the house, you know, fixing doors and windows to strengthen your home before hurricane season. And of course, as we start getting hurt closer to hurricane season, you start building up your disaster kit. Um, and listeners can always find a copy of that disaster kit um, at the Florida Division of Emergency Management. I think something that he really um, drove home is that there, and it's not just him saying it, but I think it's something that a lot of people in the meteorologist community and in the weather safety community noticed was that there was a lot of confusion about what the warning cone means. And people who were seemingly outside of the warning cone when Hurricane Ian was approaching Florida didn't understand what the warning cone actually is, and they base their decisions off of the cone. It's a statistical model of where the center of the hurricane will land. So it does not show the range of impact nor the size of the storm, which is what a lot of people don't understand. So they see the cone and they see, oh, well, my area is not really in the cone, so I'm good. Again, this is just a, a guess of where the center of the hurricane will land two-thirds of the time. One third of the time, the center of the hurricane will hit somewhere outside of that cone. And even if the center of the hurricane does hit somewhere inside of that cone, it does not mean that you are free from impacts. So instead, Moyeda says, really this year, when making decisions about hurricanes and understanding your risk, listen to watches and warnings instead. So aside from hurricanes, Florida is also known for fairly hot and humid weather. What exactly do extreme temperatures mean for Floridians and how do they prepare for that best? So number one, as I've already said, there's several tools from the National Weather Service, like heat advisories, watches and warnings in the case of excessive heat. So again, you're going to want to make sure that you monitor that, that you have a way to receive alerts on your phone. It can be really dangerous, basically, is the short answer. Um, so according to the National Weather Service, heat is actually the number one killer out of all weather hazards in a 30-year average. It can happen pretty quickly. So children and the elderly and those who work outdoors are the most vulnerable, but it can happen to anyone. 
So heat exhaustion manifests as dizziness, thirst, heavy sweating, nausea, and weakness. And basically, if this happens, you just want to take a break. So you're going to want to move indoors or move to a a shaded area. You're going to want to drink cold water and you're going to want to rest until your body re-regulates itself. Um, And if your symptoms don't improve, then you can, you know, seek medical attention. Heat stroke happens after heat exhaustion. And that can cause confusion, dizziness, um, hot skin, and a really rapid, strong pulse. And basically, people can lose consciousness or end die at that point. And this isn't helped by the fact that Florida is going through a warming trend. So in 2022, uh, according to NOAA, Florida experienced its fifth warmest year um, in record-keeping history. And the temperatures are up 2.3 degrees from the 20th century average. Um, I also want to just briefly touch on wildfires, since it is something that was included in this day. So again, wildfires, not something we always think about in Florida. Excessive heat also puts stress on the environment. Drought occurs when precipitation falls too low. And yeah, right now, about 70% of the state is in some sort of drought condition. There's five levels of drought conditions, D0 through D4. There's really three things that you should do to prepare yourself. And that's to prep your home, prep your yard, and prep yourself. So the people who are going to be most most vulnerable to wildfires in Florida are people who are going to live in rural communities, Um, surrounded by a lot of vegetation and unmanaged land. You can get information about wildfires in your area um, or wildfire threat in your area from the National Weather Service and from the Florida Forest Service. And finally, is there anything else about this series that you want to talk about? The only thing I want to say is that the um, Amy Godsey um, from the Florida Division of Emergency Management did say in regards to all of these threats that all weather-related like fatalities should be avoidable through education and also, again, being able to receive those alerts in a timely manner and knowing what to do when really we should be able to keep ourselves safe and um, not lose anyone else to um, weather hazards. That was the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network's Melissa Fato on severe weather in the state. Now, let's catch you up on today's top stories from around the state. The Suwannee River Water Management District has compiled a flood risk review of the Santa Fe River watershed. According to WUFT News, residents in part of Alachua, Baker, Bradford, Columbia, Gilchrist, Suwannee, and Union Counties may be impacted by the updated flood maps. Public meetings are being held by the management district to help guide residents through the status of their property. Meetings will be held February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd from 5 to 8 p.m. For more information, visit wuft.org. Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gates will not face any charges related to a federal sex trafficking investigation. According to Florida Politics, a statement from the congressman's office reads that the Department of Justice confirmed to Gates' attorneys that their investigation has concluded and he will not be charged with any crimes. A Florida House panel on Tuesday took a first step toward shifting to partisan school board elections and backed a proposal that would limit school board members to eight years in office instead of the current 12. 
According to the News Service of Florida, the state constitution currently requires that school board races be nonpartisan. But if the proposal is ultimately approved by the legislature and voters, school board candidates could begin running under party affiliations starting in 2026. Subscribe to The Point Newsletter, which drops the latest Florida stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit WUFT.org to subscribe and view the most recent issues. I'm Julia Cooper, and you've been listening to The Point from WUFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Thursday. Thursday.